Well, I hope everybody came today expecting that when you leave here, you'll have no more questions about what it means to be called to missions, ever, right? This will be it. Never even have to talk about it again. Of course, that's not even close to true. Nor is it even in any way the goal of what we're doing here today. But I do want to start with, I guess, let me introduce myself a little bit. I'm going to talk about myself probably more than I should in the midst of all this. Um, my name is Brian Vickers. I teach, uh, I'm, I teach Bible here in town at a local seminary called Southern Seminary. Uh, I've been there for several years. I think this is my fifth year at GMHC. And um, it's one of my favorite times of the year. I look forward to it every single year. This is actually the first of five years where I didn't have an ailment at, G, at GMHC. I think it's psychological. I just I come and get sick. But for some reason, I'm not sick this year. So I guess I've got an hour left. So I feel pretty good. I don't know if that's ominous or not, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right, so i got a question. Who in here has a, just a burning, overwhelming, keeps-me-up-at-night, gut-wrenching feeling and sense of God calling you just to stay put? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just you're consumed with it. That's all you talk about every day. God is just calling me to stay right here. And there's nothing I can do about it. I've surrendered to God's call just to not move. Right? It's stay put or bust. Right? That's your motto. Right? I mean, no, I mean I've never honestly, I mean, I've talked to you know, a few people in my life. I don't recall. I have heard people say, I think God's calling me to stay here. But I've never... I mean, that's probably true. I mean, it's. I mean, I could say that of myself, and many of you could say that. You know, that that you know, when we when we speak that way, we think of God. God has called me, or you know, whatever we mean by that. We'll talk about it in a minute. Just to uh, to stay, you know, home, rather than say go overseas. But I've never heard anybody talk about how they struggled and had tons of conversations and spoke to a zillion people and read tons of books about God's. I don't know, I should have come up with a phrase for this instead of doing it off the top of my head. And um, trying to come up with uh, you know, God's plan for them just not going anywhere. We just don't really struggle with that too much. It's not a question, not really. But the question of the so-called missionary call, and I have to, I'm sorry, I'm just going to apologize ahead of time. Ever since I, we came up with this, ever since we came up with this title, Every time I say this, I use air quotes, which I despise. I hate doing it, but I'm doing it constantly now. And it's my new thing, apparently. My wife said the other day, she said, you're doing this all the time. I said, no, I can't stop it. I can't stop. <laughs> and so anyway, so what is, this, what is this mysterious thing we call the call or the missionary call? I mean, is it, is it a feeling? There might be something to that. Is it a sense? Well, yeah, sure, certainly. Does it mean you're, does it mean you're called like beyond a shadow of a doubt to do something to where you know, you know exactly where you need to be and when you need to be there and how long you're going to be there? I mean, is it, is it, for something to be a missionary call, so to speak, does that mean you have to be called to one single place for a lifetime? And that's it. And sort of everything else is just kind of a, kind of just an amorphous, I don't know what to call it. There's one missionary call, 
and that is you're called to go to, say, Outer Mongolia forever, and then there's everything else. I mean, is that is that what it is? Sometimes I think sometimes I think when we talk about missionary call, we should have some kind of eerie music playing in the background, and the lights should dim, and there should be some kind of spooky noise or something. The way we talk, because we talk about it sort of breathlessly. Now, there's a good reason. I am sort of poking fun at it a little bit, but there's a good reason why we talk about it so much. Um, and if you're here today, you're probably here because you're interested in it in some way. And it's likely that most people in this room, and I can definitely include myself in this, have struggled over this issue. And there's, uh, there's quite a few folks today who say we should never use this phrase. And I, I'm, I'm kind of in that camp. Kind of. But only kind of. And the reason I say kind of is there's only so many words that we can use. If we outlaw ever saying missionary call and make it a law that you have to say guidance, then we'll just talk about the same thing and call it God's guidance. It, it won't necessarily make the, make the personal issue go away. However, however, I do think it's more fitting to speak of God guiding us rather than the sort of, I don't know, the typical way or the popular way maybe that we talk about a call. And when we talk about missionary call, I'm not so sure how much we're talking about or influenced by what we've read or seen in the Bible. Of course, I mean, of course there is influence from the Bible in it, right? But I don't know. Honestly, when I hear people talk about missionary call, it's often influenced by missions history, what they know about missions history. So maybe, maybe you've read a biography of somebody like Hudson Taylor you know, or William Carey, and, and you read that and you, you got a real sense of their calling. Right? That was a... They had a particular kind of missionary call. Or maybe you went to, I don't know, a conference on missions or something. And people talked about it. And, you know, that's, that's when you started thinking about it. That's when you sort of started conceiving of it. Um, but typically we can just have some strange ideas about what it means or what we think of when we say missionary call. I think, it, I think uh, basically we sort of feel like it must be some kind of overwhelming I know without one shred of a doubt exactly what God wants me to do and where he wants me to be. Well, I think that happens. I think that happens, but we, we just, when we talk about it, it's, it's, it really depends on who you're talking to, what they mean by it. I mean, for instance, some people kind of shroud it in irony. So they'll say, I mean, I hear this kind of thing a lot. They'll say, you know, I hate the heat, and I hate bugs, and I hate strange food. I know God's going to send me to the equator. Like, really? Why? Because he's just ironic? You know? He's like you? <laughs> right? I mean, is that what you conceive that God's like you and has your sense of humor? He's like, okay, I'm going to send this person where they'll hate it the most. Well, of course, there's been stories of that kind of thing happening. Um, or, or sometimes we'll, uh, we'll get kind of confused about it because we'll hear things like this. Do you have a legitimate reason not to go? Maybe you've heard this before. And it, it, you know, it could be a, it's not, it's not entirely bad, but sometimes I've heard people sort of get in people's faces and say, do you, can you sit there and tell me right now you have a legit, legitimate reason not to go overseas in missions? And of course, people sort of roll over their head and think, well, no, I guess not. No? Then what are you doing here? What are you doing here? You need to get in God's will and get overseas. Or this. Everyone has a call to go to the nations. It's just a matter of whether you'll follow it. So you have two choices in this, in this sort of model. 
You can either go overseas or live in disobedience. And that's it. Um, so, you know, I mean, all of us are just living in, most of us in this room are just living in flagrant disobedience right now. And it's, you know, proud of it. But just flaunting it everywhere. Look at me, disobeying God every day. Um, but that's kind of sometimes how we're made to feel. And, and, you know, and there is something, obviously there is something to that question. It's not completely illegitimate, right? It's a good question to ask some people. And uh, there's a sense in which that's true. Everybody has a call from God to be involved in the nations. But, you know, that doesn't mean you have to jump on, well, nobody takes a ship anymore. Uh, you know, that doesn't mean you have to, I'm just going keep to keep up with it, jump on a ship, take a cruise for four months, end up somewhere, you know, you get one letter home every two years, and then you die there. That doesn't mean that's the way it has to happen, even though it's happened that way in the past. But let me tell you a little bit where I come from and what shaped sort of the way I think about this. First of all, I am not a missionary. Not in the, not, not in the sort of popular technical sense. Okay? Now, somebody might be thinking, no, we're all missionaries. I get it. But I'm not. Um, not in the way we typically think of it, right? So I'm just using popular language. Let's just be really clear right off the bat. I'm just using this the way we would typically use it for, for good or ill. That's the way I'm using it. I'm not preparing to move overseas. I'm not even a missions teacher. I am a teacher, but I don't even teach missions. And I'm not a missions pastor. It's eminently qualified to be here today, right? I mean... <laughs> Obviously, you're thinking, you're thinking, okay, there's only two doors. There's a lot of people in here. How do I, right? How do I get out? Um, but all those things are true of me. Uh, but, you know, I spent a lot of years trying to make all those things not true about me and thinking that somehow my identity was wrapped up in me reversing basically all four of those things and that if I was going to be faithful to God, and if I was going to follow God's will, then I was going to turn all those into positive statements. Am, am, am. Well, yeah, just, you get it. Am, all the way down. Okay. Jumped ahead of myself. So let me tell you how I got involved in missions. One day I was at church. It's a good start. So I'm at church, and uh, I'm walking down the aisle. Somebody taps me on my back. I turn around. There's nobody there. No, that's not true. There's somebody standing there. And (laughs) And so there's a a student standing there, one of my students standing there. And he says, you know, um, I want to ask you something. Sure, go ahead. He said, you know, we're we're slated to take this short-term trip to South Asia this, this spring, and our our faculty supervisor, a faculty team leader, has to drop out for medical reasons. Could you do it? And I thought about it for, is this ringing as much as I think it is? Probably get myself in trouble with all the AV people. Is that any better? Can you still hear it? No, you can't hear it. How's that? Okay, I'm gonna, I'll just speak up. Okay, thank you, in the back. So he said, you know, we're going to South Asia. We can't go unless a faculty person goes with us. Do you think you'd be willing to? I thought about it and prayed about it for probably five seconds. 
I'm not kidding. I'm not, this is not, I'm not joking. I'm just serious. And I said, yeah, sure. That sounds pretty good. Never been, like to go. And so I went. And I uh, went because there was an opportunity to go. And there was really no reason for me not to go. Um, so I went. And I didn't really have any expectations other than this was going to be something new, something I've never done, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, God used that quick conversation and then what followed, and that's probably been about nine years ago, to um, open door after door after door for me to get involved in ways where I just was making it happen. Like every year I'd come home from a trip and I'd be missing my wife and my daughter and thinking, well, I don't know if I can leave them again. I'm home one day, I'm planning the next trip. And so that's been sort of like the, that's been sort of the, last, the last nine years of my life. And uh, a funny thing happened for about five of those years, which wasn't, I mean, it wasn't funny to me. It's funny unless I look back. Do you know I spent at least five of those years often miserable? Not because I was doing the short-term trips and counseling people in missions and getting involved here in GMHC and involved in other missions conferences and being a mentor to people in missions and involved in the missions uh, training school at my church. I'm doing all these things, right? Uh, everything that I have an opportunity to do, I'm doing. But I was kind of miserable about it a lot, to be honest with you. And when I would be overseas at night, I would be miserable because what I was miserable about was trying to think, how come I'm not here? Right? What's God calling me to do? I mean, I was wrapped up with this idea of God's call for missions. And it took me five years to figure out, well, actually, God has guided me into being as involved in missions as I, as I can be at this moment. But I've been struggling with all this personal idea about a call so much that I haven't been able to see what God's been doing in my life for five years. Because I still kept thinking, I know God's calling me overseas. God's calling me to get there, and i got to get there. Not realizing that all those things I was doing was God's will for my life. I mean, even I mean, I mean th- theoretically, mentally, theologically, whatever else, I knew that. But it, you wouldn't have known it in my, in my own sort of personal experience in prayer life. Because, honestly, even though I was doing all those things, what all those things were making me do... Again, like I said, I was wanting to turn all those things into positive statements because that would confirm what I was doing as though all the other things I was doing just really maybe didn't matter sort of at the end of the day, you know, comparatively. And so kind of one day I woke up after uh, talking to uh, a friend of mine who had been overseas for years and he was living, uh, he was also living in South Asia. We, we met, I was over there once, and he's, I was spilling the beans just like I just told you. I said, you know, I can't get any rest. I can't get any peace. It's just constantly, I really feel like God is leading me, but I just can't figure out how to make it work. And we keep trying to make it work, and we'll be right on the verge, and then something will happen. And it's just, I'm just trying to figure out what God is doing. And he said, figure it out. What are you talking about? It's easy to see what God's doing in your life. You're just the only one who can't see it because you're so wrapped up in trying to make God's call to missions fit your particular personal paradigm of what that must look like rather than following God's particular paradigm for what that may be like. And that was kind of a turning point. I mean, I haven't had too many turning point days in my life, but that was one of them where somebody just sort of got in my face and said, yeah, you're not satisfied because you're trying to micromanage God is ultimately what you're trying to do, and you're not seeing all the things that he's giving you to do. And so, uh, you know, this is, one of the things that's, this is one of the things that's led me to this uh, 
idea of, yeah, it's really more about God's guidance than a particular call. Now, that's a little bit of my background, and I think it probably some of that probably resonates with some of you in some way or another. I mean, I hope it does. But what does the Bible have to say about this so-called missionary call? I mean, what does it have to say? Maybe there's some verses coming to your head right now. Well, the Bible has more to talk about it being a large, gigantic, universal story of God's mission in the world more than it has to talk about God's particular calling on your life to go to a particular place at a particular time, particular time for a particular period of time. Because the whole story of the Bible unfolds as a story of God's mission in the world. And there are hundreds of texts, and last year I did a whole big thing on the, the biblical story of missions, and basically what I did is I just opened a fire hose and threw the Bible at people for an hour. Um, but there are two kind of pillars for missions in the Bible that hold up uh, how the whole thing kind of unfolds. Two, two pillars, and maybe there's more than that, but the first one is one we don't maybe associate with missions very much, and that is Genesis 12. But Genesis 12 is sort of the formal, it's not the beginning, but it's kind of the formal beginning of the story of missions in the Bible. This is where it kind of starts. I mean, it's already started, but here's where it gets kind of etched in. And it all happens because God comes to this guy, Abram, who is really just a guy who is living among the nations, actually. Uh, he's not a believer. He, uh, he's not looking for God. God finds him and calls him. And God says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, you know, if you know this part of Genesis, right before Genesis chapter 12 is Genesis chapter 11, where you have a a big list. It's called the Table of Nations. Where all the nations, I mean, no, sorry, sorry, it goes back to 10. All the nations are listed. All of them. Every nation that exists at that time are listed. In particulars, and then and then you have a, then you have the tower incident, and then you have Abram, right? So all the nations have been laid out, kind of in black and white. You can read about them; they're just listed. It's the kind of thing if you're doing a daily Bible reading, you get to that part and you're you're done like in two seconds. You know how you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so, but they're all listed. Why? Just randomly? It's just a fun fact of the Bible? No, all the nations are listed out and named. And then, soon after that, you hear what's going to happen to them. God's going to bless them. You know who they are now. God's going to bless them through this one man. And so the rest of the Bible kind of unfolds around God keeping that promise. And it unfolds into God keeping that promise in such a way that you and I get involved in it. Not just as objective bystanders who read about it and watch it, but as people who are part of it. Everybody knows this text. But did you ever think about it in terms, in in relation to Genesis 12? Because the Great Commission, which I'll read, I know I don't really have to, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission 
The Great Commission is God's word to us to go tell the nations, to go tell everybody that God has kept his word. That's the blessing that goes to the nations. What's the blessing that the nations are going to get? It's the blessing of the gospel. That's what it is. That's how the nations get reached. That's where the blessing comes from. The blessing comes from people hearing about the crucified and risen and coming again Christ. And that's how the story unfolds. But notice again, it's not just a story out there. It's not just a story for us to know some facts about. It's a story that we're called to be a part of and that we are a part of if if we're believers in Jesus. And so I think those, those, are two texts you, those are two texts that are really important to hold together. God promises to bless the nation, nations, and here Jesus tells us exactly how that's going to happen by people hearing about him. I can't, what, I mean, what greater blessing is there? You know, I'm, that's what it is. I mean, plain and simple. That's, that's exactly what it is. So that's the sort of story in the Bible. And so the Bible kind of presents its message as an unfolding story of God keeping his promise to the nations and inviting people like me and you to be involved in it as members of it so that that becomes our story. It's not just, hey, there's a story. That's a pretty good story. It becomes our story that we live and that we um, incarnate every day. Right? So, and so... And so we're kind of hardwired into this idea of a calling right off the bat by believing in Jesus and following it. Okay? Now, you're still thinking, okay, yeah, that's a general truth. So what does the Bible then have to say about missionary calling? Well, still after this, not a lot in particulars. Though it, it does show us clearly that people did carry out the Great Commission and followed God's call to go to the nations. Acts is filled with this sort of refrain. Luke, the writer of Acts, he loves to use this refrain over and over and over again. Because every time he uses it, it moves the story forward. And the story of Acts moves forward in these sort of like these little division lines where there's great numbers added, right? Those who accepted his message were baptized about three thousand. The Lord added their number daily, those who were being saved. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who uh, believed grew to about 5,000. More and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. And then the book of Acts ends, the book of Acts ends with Paul, for all intents and purposes, at the end of the world, in Rome, in jail preaching the gospel every day. In fact, preaching the gospel to a group of people who would never hear the gospel unless Paul was in jail, and that is Caesar's, Caesar's Praetorian Guard, people that nobody had access to. But Paul gets daily access to him because he's, he's, in, he's, he's in jail under Caesar's command. And in Philippians, he's like, hey, my, my imprisonment's worked out good in every way for the cause of the gospel because all the people are hearing it. And the, and the book of Acts begins with Jesus say, you'll, saying, you'll be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to all the ends of the earth. And Paul ends in Rome. And again, for all intents and purposes, if you're in Rome, there's a good reason why that we have the phrase, all Romes lead to Rome. All roads lead to Rome. They do. And so that's where Paul is. And so the book of Acts shows, right, that the early church went about this business of carrying out God's call to the nations. However, 
there's still not a lot in terms of if you want kind of like four or five verses you can kind of put in your pocket that tells you exactly like what a missionary calling is. It's still not really there, oddly enough. What is there? Whoops, I want to introduce that a little bit. I sometimes hear people talk about getting a Macedonian call. You know what that is? You ever heard of that? They're like, what I need in my life, I need a Macedonian call. You're like, well, it's weird. A Macedonian call refers to this. What I do? Oops, again, I'm giving it away every time. Paul gets a vision to go to Macedonia. And it's like, hey, come help us. It's a vision. He, sees, he sees a man, he sees a vision of a person who says, hey, come help us. And he goes. And all, all the time, I mean, maybe you've never used this phrase, but we use phrases like it where we, what we're expecting is, hey, I need to see like a vision. If God would just speak to me, right? If God, if God would just tell me clearly in like a way I can understand and, and not argue against, right, then I would go. And then people will think about this text with Paul. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And we want that. Right? Oh, come on, we do. You know we do. You can say, no, that's not the way it works. But you know you do. You know you, this is exactly what you want to happen to you today, like right now. And you know that's true. And, it's, and I think that way too. You know, so, but what's the key to understanding how Paul got this calling. Well, when Paul got this calling, you know, he wasn't sitting around in Tarsus drinking coffee or whatever, saying, man, I really wonder what God's will is for my life. If he'd just show up and tell me. Paul was on mission when he got this calling. And that's, that makes all the difference in the world. I mean, he, he wasn't sort of struggling about it. If God would just show me a vision... So yeah, so Paul does get a Paul does get a, a miraculous supernatural leading, but I think the thing to remember is is when he gets it, he's already out among the nations doing missions, not just sort of thinking about it. And that's that's kind of different than the way we often think about it. But this is this is one of those texts that we that we sometimes refer to or you read about. It's a great text, but again, the thing to remember is is that Paul Paul is already. Paul's already at work when he gets this when he gets this mission. I mean, yeah, gets this message. Because I think we like to base a calling to missions on maybe something that we see, like something you know you can sort of point your finger at it. And sometimes we will sometimes we will identify that as need. So people will feel like they're called because there's a need, and they're called to a need. And I think that's that's good. But what's the tricky thing about if you're motivated simply by the fact that there's a need? What's the, what's the, what's the potential problem of that? There's always a need. There, yeah, there's always a need. And once you get to one place that has a need, if you're driven by need, it's good. I mean, I'm not saying you throw it out. Hear me, hear me well. I'm not saying we shouldn't care about needs. I'm saying if we're only motivated sort of by a guilty response to the fact that there is need, what you'll find is, is that is a never-ending stream that you'll have to move from one need to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. And it, it, that will eventually sort of give out. 
if that's what we're motivated by. But all the time I hear students saying, I really feel like you know, God's calling me to be, be involved in missions because there's just such need. Like, yeah, that second thing is 100% true. The first thing, maybe, maybe, and, and it really depends on what you mean by that. And sometimes what we're doing is we're waiting for an open door, thinking if God would just give me an open door, I will walk through it. But, you know, an open door is not the same thing as a command to walk through that door. It, it just isn't. It just isn't. I'll give you an example. Paul says, now I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there, so I said goodbye and went to Macedonia. So Paul has a big, there's a big need, there's an open door, but because of other things, Paul doesn't go. And he doesn't apologize for that. He just says. And that's exactly what, I mean, he uses the phrase, open door. Open door. So again... Again, sometimes we're like, if God would just open a door. Well, yeah, that, that, has, that needs to happen, right? Just like you need to recognize some sort of need to go. But those can't be the things that we conceive of as what the missionary call means. Because if we conceive of the missionary so-called, there I go, is that better if I do that? I don't know what, that's, that's worse. If we conceive of a missionary calling to be those sorts of things, it's not going to be enough to really ever get us anywhere other than in our own heads. And that's the problem. Now, if we make it all about those things. The point is this. The world is wide open. The, whole, the door is wide open. It is. And God has given us a word in his Bible that is held together with a mission story from beginning to end. It has called all of us, if we're believers in Jesus, to understand that that's our story. It's not just a story of people who have gone into full-time missions. It's a story of everybody that is unavoidable if you're a Christian. And it gives us plenty of examples of God fulfilling that promise and that promise to the nations of God fulfilling it throughout. And people engaged in carrying that work out. But it says, excuse me. Very little about a personal missionary call, the way we conceive of it. Now you might wonder, you might wonder then, okay, so what makes, how do I, what makes a missionary? Are there particular gifts? Does the Bible mention a gift of missions? Maybe that's the key. God's placed in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then you can read on, of course, in 1 Corinthians 12 about other, all, the, all the various sorts of gifts. But there's not a particular missionary calling gift. But you might think there would be, given often the way we think about it. Because I think that we think, I just don't know if I have the gifts. Well, there's not particular gifts for a missionary. All you got to do is be you. And do what God's called you to do. And you're like, okay, great, I've learned nothing. But hang in there. The fact of the matter is this. The Bible has far more to say about our character and our relationship with God 
in our faithfulness to God in all that we do than it does about sort of telling you, all of a sudden you open to a verse and the words sort of transform into, you know, go thou to Mongolia, right, secretly to you. It doesn't. But it has all this other stuff about how we ought to live every day, understanding that every day we're called to be in a relationship with God, following him in obedience and out of, out of love for him, not out of guilt, and then doing all the various things he gives us to do. And in understanding that, I think we get, we can, there's a freedom available to us to think about this calling that we often don't take advantage of. Your life belongs to God. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Your life belongs to God. You are God's. Your calling, if you really want to know what it is, your calling is to belong to God and be his fully 100%. That's your identity, right? Your identity is not wrapped up on your perception of exactly God's AAA roadmap for your life. Your identity is found only in Christ, and there is nothing else, and no need for anything else. And we're called to faith and faithfulness. You trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways submit to Him, and He will make your path straight. Now, it doesn't say, and he will give you a road map. But you can see here is, if we're thinking about what God is having us to do, guiding us to do, it is done not just by sitting and thinking about it, but by living every day, walking with God, in relationship with God, understanding God, knowing God, and then understanding how he's leading and guiding us, and understanding that he gives us this freedom because he's opened the whole world to us. And has given us all various sorts of gifts. And there's not one particular gift. And you don't have to have the gifts I have. And I don't have to have the gifts you have. And you don't have to have 10 or 12 or as many as that guy beside you. And vice versa. Because God's not going to judge any of us based on somebody else. Right? It's just our faithfulness is what, what God has given us each to do. And we can follow that. And if we sort of, I think if we start thinking more about God guiding and less about less sort of grappling over this particular issue of a so-called missionary call, then I think we might find that the desires of our heart, which I think for, for many of us in this room are for missions, the desires of our hearts are then open for us to follow. Because our eyes are off of ourselves, our favorite topic, our eyes are off of ourselves and our own struggles and how, like, what am I doing? Who am I? What am I going to do? Like I did for five straight years while I was doing all this stuff that God must have been like, hey, wake up. And so we can sort of get our minds off ourselves. And that's why I think ultimately this idea of guidance is probably better a better biblical conception than the sort of strict idea of a call that we have. Because when you speak of a call, it is almost all self-centered. It's all about me. Right? Now, obviously, you're involved. And I'm involved in what God wants us to do in our li- with our lives. It's hard for us not to be involved in that. But all this, consume, all this sort of consuming idea about the call is really being consumed with ourselves. And we can miss a zillion opportunities because we may be spending all of our time just thinking about me, 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 what do I need to do, what do I need to do? Rather than 
okay, I don't maybe know what I'm, I'm going to do next year, but I know what I can do today. You know, we have this, we have this conception, I think. We have this conception. There's, um, there's Romans 12. Okay, I'm running short on time. That's another one. Called to live for God. There's this conception that if I could just get overseas, I will become like a gospel dynamo. <laughs> you know? Seriously. I mean, think about it. You just get me out of my comfort zone. You put me in a place where the food is strange, where, you know, when you flush the toilet, it goes a different direction. Like if you're, you know, when I'm talking about if you're below, you know, if you're south. It's sort of weird when you see it for the first time. You're like, what's going on? Oh, I see. Okay. And then, you know, where everybody speaks a different language and you're the only person like you. None of those things make you bolder. They don't. It's the opposite. But so many times, and I mean, I've done this, and so many times I talk to students and I'm counseling people who are thinking about missions, and there is this, nobody comes right out and says it, but there is this sort of latent idea that if you would just get me out of my everyday, I'll be a totally different person. I'll be better. I mean, I will be on fire for God if you just release me from the circumstances that God himself has put me in. (laughs) Right? We just make this correction in this plan because God has clearly put me in a place that's restraining me. So if we can just break out of that and get me in another place where I'm uncomfortable all the time, man, I will be winning a thousand people to Jesus every day. No, it's harder. It's even harder on short-term. Ask anybody been on a short-term trip. It doesn't get easier. It gets difficult. So one of the questions is to ask yourself, right? Let me get down to the little nitty-gritty stuff now. Because now we're free. We're free to talk about anything we want. Because now we're, we're free of having to sort of comb through the Bible, finding a proof text for a missionary call. We can put that sort of behind us. We don't, have to, we don't have to do that because doing it doesn't really get us anywhere in many ways. What we need to do is see the message of the Bible about missions and understand that we're about that. And we've, we've been folded into that story. And that's your story. Somebody says, hey, what's your story? Okay, I'll tell you. Centuries ago, God revealed himself to this guy, Abram. So he's going to bless all the nations. Fast forward. Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, rises again and gives a commission to go into the world. That's my story. All of us, we tell the same story. Every single one of us. You know, with some variations for personal differences. So we don't have to, we don't have to sit and struggle. Where's my verse? Where's my life verse? Put it on a refrigerator. All right? Bathroom mirror. Whatever. I mean, it's fine to do. That's fine to do. But you ever notice how you have to swap those out so much? Because, you know, it, sort of loses traction after a while, and you've got to get a new one. Rather than seeing, man, the whole message of the Bible frees me to be who, I, who God wants me to be and to follow his call to the nations wherever I may be. And so you have to ask yourself, am I already doing missions, or do I just conceive of missions as a job description? Now, of course, on one technical level, yeah, I mean, we only have so many words. And we can't just call our, each of ourselves, what's he do? He's a person. I don't want to label him. You know, it's not spiritual to label him. Because we're all missionaries, don't forget. So what's he doing over there in uh, Sri Lanka? I don't know, I'm trying to come up with the country. He's being a person there. You know, so we have to use words. And let's, you know, we don't have to be sort of so persnickety. But ask yourself, am I already doing missions? Or do I only conceive of missions as something out there in the future 
that doesn't actually exist for me. And I conceive of myself as being a missionary sometime in a life that I don't yet live. If that's your idea of missionary call, you need to retool and sit back and think, okay, hold on. There's something wrong here because I'm living most of my life in a world that doesn't exist anywhere except in my mind as I project it into the future. The best barometer, the best barometer for what kind of missionary you will be is what you're doing today, every day. That's the best, that's the best guide you've got for figuring out what your life would be like if God placed, placed you in a different culture is what your life looks like now. And don't expect it to look radically different in, every, in all kinds of positive ways. Again, just because you've somehow been dislodged from apparently what God's will is for your life, and that is to be exactly where you are this very minute. Family. Family questions to ask, and not, not all of them are bad. Right? There's sometimes this idea... I mean, honestly, the, practically, sometimes I hear people talking about family as if God gives us family just to be a burden on us so that we can try to shed it somehow so we can go do his will, right? How can my family be the least amount of anchorage in my life for me to go do missions? Now, nobody says that, but sometimes people try to live that way, right? But one of the a great question is to ask is, okay, let's say you're married. Is your, your spouse in on this, Right? Is it like, I'm taking him, kicking and screaming to the nations. Praise God. <laughs> right? I mean, some people try to do that. But, you know, it's like you know, people will look for signs. Like, hey, the sign is your husband melts to the ground every time he hears about this idea. That's a sign. Does that mean that can't be corrected or changed? No. No. But, I mean, no, seriously, we have signs all over the place. And then the in-law syndrome, that's my favorite, right? Anybody with in-laws never, they want to tell their in-laws, like the, they want to call them from the plane before they tell you to shut the phone down. Oh, we're on our way to Bangladesh. Got to turn the phone off, right? <laughs> and so that's sort of the funny side of it. But you have to think about it. I mean, there are legitimate things to think about. Now, I'll tell you this, though. When I hear people say, I got this word from missionaries, I haven't lived in the field. You know, a lot of people think, I just don't know if I can take my kids overseas. You know what every missionary to a person has told me? If your kids are your concern, you have no concerns. Because kids can live and be happy anywhere. And kids only know something's bad if you tell them. I had this friend of mine who lived in Dhaka in Bangladesh. His kids for a whole year could do nothing by themselves outside except play on the roof because of various concerns. I said, man, that must have been rough. He's like, rough, huh? They loved it. He said, we just never told them it stunk. And so they thought it was great. Because that's all they knew. And they just adapted and they were kids. And they loved it. And we were close as a family. And I, every day we talk about how we wish we could go back to that year. So it's not, it's not worse. Right? So anyway, there's health questions to ask us or practical questions to ask. Right? If you have respiratory problems, don't go to Calcutta. It's easy. There, I've answered your question. Don't, because you won't be able to breathe. You can't breathe there anyway, right, If with healthy lungs. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of it. It's just that's an issue. I mean, it sounds like I'm making a joke about it, and there is, you know, it sounds sort of jokey the way I say lots of stuff, but it isn't. It isn't. It's a real issue. And I've known people, I've known people who have pushed and pushed and pushed, dying to go into missions, 
who, I mean, I'm, no, I'm not the kind of doctor that can actually help people, you know? Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I can, you know, but, you know, not in that sort of way, not in, like, be thou healed or something like that. Like, like, that's what doctors do, right? That's what I just said. That's the whole job. <clears throat> but I've known people who have every ailment under the sun, and they keep thinking, I, I really just wish I'd go to the nations. They think, well, you know, why? I mean, because you have to think about sort of personal issues, right? Those are all involved. And the big one, affirmation. And we skip this one all the time. You know why? Because we think we make, we make the missionary calling so personal, and so it's between me and God. So we're all like lone rangers, right? We sometimes conceive of it that way. The best, the best, one of the best signs that you're going to get that God is guiding you into missions is whether other people think that too. And this actually has biblical precedent. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Mananin, uh, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So they, call, they were called by God, guided, no, called and affirmed by the church. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. When they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, and they did the circumcised, or to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I'd been eager to do all along. So there you go. The, very, the, the, greatest, the greatest missionary in the church in history, and the greatest theologian, too, I like to remind my students, who was also a missionary, that is, Paul also got affirmation and confirmation from others. And didn't simply, because he even said, I, I, I submitted, I mean, he's, he, he says, you know, who they were in and of themselves means nothing to me. But I wanted to submit to them my gospel in case I had been wasting my time, running in vain is what he says. Why? Because even Paul, even Paul understood that this was a communal church effort. And not just an individual. Right? So, I think sometimes what we need to do is get the general missions message of the Bible. And understand it. And understand that we're part of that. It's not just out there. But we're part of it. And then, honestly, sometimes start asking sort of these simple questions. But the great one is this. You don't have to be anywhere particular to do missions for any particular time. We live in a different world than William Carey lived in. Used to be, and this is, this is why we think of missions in this way, because we've read missions biographies, and we don't think about the times we live in sometimes. Yeah, in those days, you get on a ship, you might make it, but it's not like you come home for the holidays. I mean, your letters take like a year, much less you getting back. And we, we, can, we tend to think of it being that way, but you know, I mean, the world, the world has changed radically, as we all know. And you can, think, uh, you, can, you can think legitimately of doing missions in short-term, mid-term, long-term, and even going somewhere without sort of the conception of, God can only call me here if I'm going to hear from my lifetime. Whoever said that? We don't think about that. Of, think about it. We don't think about that in terms of our lives here. 
at home. Like I rarely think about what I'm doing now in terms of, I don't know if I'm doing this, I'm doing what I should, because I don't know if God's called me to do it forever. Right? But we sometimes think of we sometimes think of missions that way. Oh, that's the end. <laughs> it's climactic, wasn't it? I mean, I really built up to that. I was as surprised as you were. Here we go. Not quite the end. So anyway, just in conclusion, we have a few more minutes. I don't think I've answered any particular question about the missionary calling today. And quite frankly, I didn't think I was really going to. Um, and what I'm, and again, I want to also, I want to say this. What, I, what I'm saying, and the implications of what I'm saying, does not mean that there won't be long nights and seasons of prayer and struggle and trying to find out what God's will for your life is. I'm not saying all that can be pushed aside or won't exist. All I'm saying is, is we likely have far more freedom than we ever think that we do. And that what God calls us to do is to be faithful to him every day, and that is a bigger concern than what you do. How you do every single thing in your life, and most importantly, how you do the smallest things in your life. It's no good if you go out, well, if you go out today and you sort of share the gospel with, say, a bunch of people, and then you go home and you're a nightmare to your family, you can't go to bed that night and think, man, share the gospel with tons of people. Did all right. Well, it's good that you share the gospel with tons of people, and God can use the worst of us and does. Right? That's true. But how you are in the smallest parts of your life is more important than what you do in terms of career and calling. Right? Because we, we, we pursue and act out and perform all kinds of careers and all kinds of callings and some that appear to be sort of spiritual mountaintop types of things. But it's who we are in here in relationship to God and how that shows itself most, most clearly daily to the people closest to us. That's what's going to matter at the end of the day. And so, honestly... That's kind of the thing I wanted to talk about more than anything else. And not just to speak to you, but to speak to me. Because it's sometimes easy to think, man, the speakers, they really got it together. Right? All we got to do is get to their level. But nothing could be further from the truth. I'm just kind of sharing with you today what I went through. And, you know, I, 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 can't, I keep talking about how there's this five-year period. But don't think for one second that I can't revert to that like this afternoon. When I'm driving out of here thinking, now I know everything I said to them is true, but for me, it's a little different. And I really I wonder if God... So, I mean, I, I'll fall back into that unless I am, by God's grace, pursuing a daily relationship with him, trying to find out what his will is, knowing that the way we find out what God's will is, is by walking with him daily. Not by pushing him off and thinking only about ourselves and then waiting for him to give you, again, the heavenly AAA roadmap. Let me just finish with a story. Make it quick. I've talked about my friend who lives in Bangladesh. Um, he actually now lives, uh, well, never mind. He now lives in, in, in Pakistan. 
He went on a short-term trip. He was an EMS guy. I think I said that right. Yeah, he was, he was an EMS, EMT. EM, yeah, EMS. He was an EMT. He worked for EMS. And that's what he did for years and years and years. That was his training. That was his background. That was his education. He went on a short-term trip with his church, almost on a whim. He went there. When he got back off the plane, he thought, I cannot not go back there again. I've got to go. He told his wife about it. She said, you're crazy. And he didn't talk to her about it again. I mean, she made it pretty clear he was crazy. And a year later, he, he was sitting up at night. She woke up and said, what are, you, what are you doing? He said, just thinking about it. And she basically said, well, go on thinking about it. You're losing sleep. And she went back to bed. And then about a year later, it's two years later, out of nowhere, seemed like, well, I guess two years, that's not out of nowhere, but she came up and said, just out of the blue, I've got to go. She never gone. Her first trip to Dhaka was arriving in Dhaka with two children and suitcases in hand. Maybe not the best way to go, but that's how, that's how she got there. Now, this isn't anything about how the husband did this and the wife just tagged along. So if you're hearing me saying that, erase that out of your mind. That's not the point of the story. You could, it doesn't matter who was the husband who was the wife in this case. Right? So this isn't about sort of the wife just buckling under and following the husband. I've told this story before and people have gotten mad at me about that, but that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. The point is, is you had one person who had a real sense, but he didn't have that sense at the expense of saying, I'm dragging my family with me. And you had another person who had no sense of it, in fact, was saying, there, there ain't no way I'm going. And God worked on them both in different ways. He worked on, he worked on this man in the way he dealt with his wife and family, and he worked on this wife in the way she related to her husband and thought about her children and their children's safety and her family connections. And, and it took two years, and God brought them together. Now, would their, life have, would their life have been important if they didn't end in DACA? Yeah, it would be just as important as it is now. But see, God guided them, and they gave up pushing and they just try to live you know, in obedience to God every day. And they tell the story. It's so moving to hear how it happened. And I've never seen people more content and have more of a knowledge of exactly what God wants them to be doing. And they'll be the first ones to say is, it's a shock to us. So anyhow, just as we, as we close, I, I mean, I, I, again, I just want you to, I know you're probably some of you are struggling deeply with this idea of calling. And I wish I could tell you exactly what you need to do about that. I can't. But I can tell you this. Um, the Bible says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't think about how to gratify the desires of yourself and your flesh. And that's how the, that's how the Bible describes God's will for us. If you look it up, go home look it up. Look up for the word sanctification and words like that. And what you'll find is it has, more to do with, has everything to do with your character and how you live every day. And that's the key that will unlock this view, this idea of God's guidance and the so-called last time missionary call. Thanks for your time, and uh, it's been a blessing to be with you.